0: This is the On The Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. Before we get going with episode 16 of the On The Touchline podcast, I want you to stop if you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcast. I want you to go to the show And I want you to leave a five-star rating and a review. That would mean the world to me if you're able to do that. All right, now you can press play again. In episode 16 of On the Touchline, I talked to John Peronich. John is part of the coaching education team and host of the 343 podcast. I would be lying to you if I didn't say that John has been a massive influence on me to start this podcast. I've listened to 343 for a while now and absolutely love John's authenticity and no holds barred look at the game of soccer, especially as it relates to the United States. John talks about his soccer experience growing up in California and how at one time in his life, he was driving almost five hours to get connected to what would become the people of the 343 Coaching Education brand. It's pretty amazing what one person will do to chase their dream. However, I think John has an incredible message about doing literally whatever it takes to be successful in this game. He shares a great story about that when his mentor asked him to sit on the sidelines of a U10 game. And for him, it was like sitting on the sidelines of the World Cup. I felt the same way when I was talking to John. I look at him as a mentor, as a person who is becoming a friend, and a person whose work I greatly admire. I've said this before on social media, and I'll say it again. If there are people in this game whose work that you admire, do whatever it takes to build a connection with them. It wasn't that long ago that John and I didn't know one another. He's in California. I'm in Pittsburgh. But it started with an email which led to some direct messages, which led to text messages, which led to John asking me to be a guest on his show at the end of 2018. I told my wife the story that I don't typically get nervous when I do interviews. And I don't typically get nervous when I talk to people. Uh, A lot of my professional career and a lot of my training has been around interviewing people. However, when I talked to John, I was incredibly nervous. He, of course, laughed at me when I told him that story, and he actually said, why? And you know, that is a great question to ask, uh, because when you meet people that you admire and whose work that you admire, that I came to the realization that John is no different than any other person in the soccer community. And what I mean by that is just because he has strong opinions, and he has a following on social media, and he has a successful podcast, it doesn't mean that his willingness to help other people or his love for soccer is any different. In fact, I found a person who has an incredible love of the game of soccer and wants nothing more than soccer to be successful in this country. Enough of me. But one last thing before we get into the episode. If you have kids in the car, be sure to hold off on playing this episode until you are probably by yourself. I say that because there is a little bit more explicit content in this particular episode than in other episodes of On the Touchline. We'll just say John was in rare form. I hope you enjoy episode 16 of On the Touchline, with John Peronich. having listened to three four three for a while now, um, obviously uh, love 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 your work and uh, love what Gary does and <clears throat> what Brian does and um, you know what you're trying to bring to the soccer community. Um, but I I wonder if folks are. You know, curious about your background and what was it like because you grew up in California and uh, you know what that experience was like as a, as a young man and soccer wise and, and how you got to where you are in, in your career.
1: Absolutely um, I guess I should start by saying you know my views are my own. You know, people have that like little thing in their, in their Twitter headlines or whatever, or their Instagram headlines. Like <laughs> uh, my, my views do not represent the, the, you know, the company that I work for. Or whatever. My views are my own. I, I, I have hardly, hardly any interaction with the guys at this point where I kind of just run a podcast and it's, you know, I do, I do my own thing. Um, and, and, and I understand that there's, you know, there, there's reasons why, uh, you know, yeah, so I just I just want to throw that disclaimer out there, I guess. Um, but uh, but yeah, so my my background grew up in in California. I grew up in, in the central coast of of California. Uh, San Luis Obispo specifically is where I'm at now. I grew up 30 minutes south of there in a little city called Santa Maria. Uh, zero club soccer when I was growing up. It just it didn't exist in this area. If if people wanted to play club soccer, they had to travel. Uh, very far distances to, to join a team that was even just semi-serious. If people want a, a taste of, uh, you know, something th- that was similar to my story, and I I, I should take that back. Somebody who was uh, from my same age group that went through that story would be uh, Chris Seitz, who is a professional goalkeeper. He's been in MLS for many, many years. He was part of the youth national teams growing up. I knew that he was part of the youth national teams when we were growing up. I played high school soccer against him. And I, I, my one big accolade is I scored goal, I scored a goal against him in high school, which I thought was really cool. Um, but I interviewed Chris uh, for my podcast a while back. And we talked a little bit about like what the landscape was like. And, and so he, he experienced it um, in, in a, at a much higher level than I did, but he would travel two hours just to, to join a club team. And then he eventually ended up moving down there to, to cut out that, two, two hour travel time. Um, that would be four hours cause two hours, uh, one way. So he moved down to that, that club team, but that's ultimately what he had to do to, to get out of this area and, and, and make it. So no club soccer. When I was growing up, everybody just played high school soccer. Um, uh, shortly after I graduated high school, club soccer had kind of started to pick up at the, at the younger ages, like U10, U11, U12. Um, and as soon as I graduated high school, I, I played one year junior college soccer, hated the experience that I had in, in, in junior college soccer, realized that, you know, I'm probably not going to go anywhere as a player, uh, hated the coach that I had and decided at that moment, like, I don't want anybody to go through the same experience that I just went through with this terrible season. I should probably backtrack to in high school, I had a different coach all four years, I felt that was a terrible uh, you know, that's terrible for development and, and, and blah, 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 blah. Just no consistency. So after five, five years in a row of having kind of just these rough experiences with, um, no consistency, no direction, uh, no guidance. Uh, I, I decided that I wanted to get into coaching. I decided I didn't want another player to go through what I had gone through. So I went back to the high school that I graduated from and volunteered as an assistant coach. No, no paid, uh, nothing I just uh, decided to start coaching there and and kind of just stuck around i never I never left um, and I end up uh, over the course of the next nine years I spent eight years there coaching either the boys or the girls the year that I took uh, the year off that that was in between there um, after year let's see after year five. Uh, that's, that was my transition between coaching boys and girls. Um, yeah, I, I kind of just, I, I took some time off to see what I wanted to do. I ended up coaching a, a club team at the college level, uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo had an amazing experience there, met a lot of amazing, amazing people, uh, you know, won a league title there that are one of our programs, won a national championship. Um, I take zero credit for that. That's all CJ Sigler, um, and, and just created a lot of, a lot of long lasting relationships there, which are amazing. Um, but then it ultimately led me back to wanting to to be a head coach. And, and that's how I got coach or started coaching the the girls team um, was coaching club soccer all along there. Like I said, club soccer kind of pick up steam, or had started to pick up steam in the area was coaching U 10s, U 11 boys um, picked up uh, an older girls team. And, and that's kind of, where everything kind of went from there. Um, and and that, that took me up to about two thousand and fifteen when I decided I wanted to kinda experience something a little bit different and, and, and more challenging. I started to put some feelers out into the into the universe and, and see where see where that might take me. And I realized, you know, American soccer has much bigger problems than I expected. And, and what I'm referring to is just it's not, it's not very easy to just up and and go get a coaching job and I'm not trying to make excuses or anything like that. It's just, I, I started to learn, uh, you know, how valuable networking is when it comes to getting a, a position that you think you, you want or, or, or merit. And, um, and yeah, so I just started to see these, these little, these little patterns of getting passed over for different jobs and, and, you know, why I wasn't getting hired and, and, and hearing feedback from, from directors saying I needed this and this and this. And I've talked to, you know, another episode that I, I, I did that I, I'll refer to now is with Kai Edwards. And and Kai kind of did the same thing, like he kept getting told no. And so he kept trying to, you know, do these whatever he needed to do in order to make himself uh, basically undeniable, like, hey, they said you need a college degree, he goes and gets a college degree, he needs this license, he goes and gets this license, I didn't go to the extremes that Kai's gone, but I did kind of the same thing, they said, hey, you need your coach, like, okay, I'll go get my coaching license, but it wasn't that easy for me either, like, I couldn't even get into the coaching courses, so I was just realizing that, oh my gosh, this is, a, you know, ridiculous, and then kind of figuring out the American system along the way, so yeah, that and that's kinda of led me to where I am today and, and and why I do what I do today, which is kind of just uh talk very openly and honestly about some of the problems and, and things that I see in American soccer. Wow, that was the first time I've 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 talked about that in a long time. So hopefully that wasn't too long of an intro.
0: <laughs> no. Uh it, it wasn't. And uh when you were describing the uh the high school coaches you had I was actually going to jump in and say I thought you were describing US soccer there so uh, <laughs> <yeah, laughs> it'd been a little bit of a, a disaster and a, a little bit of a mess. So um, I, I correct me if I'm wrong you're not coaching currently, right?
1: No, I'm not and and I haven't had a team of my own for uh, probably 3 3 years at this point. I've okay. I've jumped on as an assistant coach on, on many teams. Um, you know funny funny story and and and, and this is no dig on, on Ian, but Ian is a player, Ian Lane is a player that I, I coached for four years, five years actually, I coached him at the college as well, but I coached him all through high school, one year at, at the at the college club team, uh, and Ian was my assistant coach with the high school programs, very, very good and ambitious young coach, um, got himself a, a, a job at a local club and and. You know, I I was looking for work. that the club promised me a team, blah 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 blah. And they're like, yeah, for now, just be Ian's assistant coach. And so, the the last like you know real coaching assignment I had was as Ian's assistant coach, which is just funny how it all kind of came full circle. Which, uh, it, it it just makes me makes me laugh. Ian has now moved on to much bigger and better, greater things. He's with San Jose Earthquakes, and
0: and and he's doing great work there. So that's that's super cool for him. If you were to describe. um I guess, your coaching philosophy or kind of how you approach the game. So folks not familiar with your work and sort of, uh, you know, how you view, view the game of soccer, uh, what, what would you say? It's a good, it's a very
1: good question. Um, I guess, you know, to, to, to use, to use the phrase that I think lit a fire inside of me when I went down like this education um, this education rabbit hole in a way you could call it, but just possession based. And, and, and I know that that's a very general, um, it's a very general term. You could, a lot of people could argue that, that they play possession soccer, or you know, that this isn't possession soccer, or this is positional soccer or things like that. And, and I, I tend to not want to get wrapped up in you know, the words of it all. I think you can, you can kind of get into word soup. Um, A lot of people do, but yeah, just, just possession soccer. And the reason why I I limit it to that is uh, I was never taught how to play that when I was growing up. I, I never had a coach that once, that once emphasized, Hey guys, like let's keep the ball. Like let's, let's move the ball around like 10, 15, 20 passes. It was never that. It was always just slam the ball forward or, or, you know, very individual, um, uh, yeah, individualized um, coaching points, like telling us how to do things better technically or you need to try harder or, you know, you, you missed that shot and, and that's the reason why this happened and, and there was no, you know, overall thing. So I come back to just, yeah, p- possession-based soccer and, um, you know, from from there i i got into um, the the positional stuff i got into you know when you lose the ball you put immediate pressure um you know the the different pattern plays and, and things like that so you know you can go down the rabbit hole of, of explaining with all the word soup but possession is 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 how i like to just describe it very simply
0: i couldn't agree more john and that um You know, it's funny. So growing up here in Pittsburgh and, you know, where you grew up in California. So I I would venture to say the coaches I had and the coaches you had probably never spoke to each other. But (laughs) everything that you said was almost parallel to the experience I had growing up playing youth, you know, youth soccer here in the Pittsburgh area. And, um, you know, booted ball, um, you know, uh, whoever's the, the most athletic player on the field. Um, you know, all those sort of things. And uh, it's amazing that, you know, there's so many similarities. And the folks that you've probably talked to on your show and the folks that I've talked to on this show, I mean, everyone keeps coming back to that, that this was sort of a theme, you know, that came out of a you know maybe a generational uh, theme or something like that. But um, it's amazing to me that that consistency, for the most part, has been there for virtually every person I've spoken to on the show. And I don't know if you've had a similar experience, but um, you know, in, in folks you've interviewed, but uh, I, I find that really interesting and really uh, fascinating that, you know, cause there's never really been, at least to, to my knowledge, like a mandate, right. From U S soccer of like, Hey, this is what we're going to be. Um, and I go, well, back- hey, yeah, Jason, go let, me, let me jump in right
1: there really quick, because I think that this is, this is important. It's very hard for U S soccer to, to to mandate something that they themselves number one have no experience with and number two that they don't practice themselves so so i mean people that are familiar with with my podcast have, have probably heard me rant about this before people that follow me on twitter have heard me rant about this before but you know how can you expect a federation to to lay down this countrywide mandate it, not just you know it, it, we're not talking about England or, 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 uh, Iceland, you know, to that throwing out a countrywide mandate. we're talking about the United States. It's, it's a big country. There's, you know, hundreds of millions of people, millions of people playing the, and coaching the game. So how can, how can the Federation lay down this mandate of, Hey, you guys need to play this way when none of the coaches that are teaching these mandates have ever played this way. And you can see, uh, you, hopefully you can hear my voice is like raising your hair. I get fired up when I, when I talk about this, it's so frustrating, man, to, to you know that these coaches that are leading some of these, these, um, courses are teaching you things that they have never done or practiced themselves. And maybe, maybe they've done it, you know, since being taught it at the, at the last instructor course, you know, maybe they have a couple months of, of, of experience with it, but they have, they, they don't have any any real expertise in in that way of playing. And so this is where, what I always come back to is that, you know, I went on this coaching education journey and I spent six years, five, five or six years fine tuning this, what I, what I call, you know, possession based soccer based off of what I had been learning from some coaches in Southern California. And I spent five years, six years working with, you know, these specific methods, and I found great success with, with, you know, these methods, and that is why I wanted to start sharing these methods with other people, because I myself had used them, I believe in them, I'm not the master of these things, no, by, by, no way, no, no chance in hell am I saying that I'm an expert with this stuff, but I know where I started, and I know where it brought me, and I know that, other people are in the same shoes that I was in or same boat that I was in. And they can probably see the same success that I achieved by doing these things too. And I wouldn't recommend these things if I didn't believe in them or do them myself. And that's my biggest gripe with us soccer coaching education is that I think this started, I think I I cut you off when we were talking about mandates, It's like how can you mandate that all these instructors teach this play practice play method right when for 20 fucking years these people have done whatever they want and they've never done play practice play but all of a sudden you know there's a new a new way of doing things and this is the way that all these coaches are teaching it just drives me mad man sorry i I went on a tangent again
0: well uh this is why when i'm driving to work that uh fired up john is my favorite john uh... (laughs) this is exactly why i wanted to have you on the show john yeah Uh, because, uh, you know, as I told some uh, some friends, man, you're, you're a flamethrower and I love that about you. And um, I mean, you call you call out bullshit when you see bullshit and uh, we need more people like you in our game. So um, it, this came up recently on Twitter and uh, I you probably saw the clip of the U.S. men's team uh, doing a rondo and uh, <laughs> part, part of a training session. Right. And I think I tweeted out something to the effect of like. You know, wait, so Ronda's are okay now. And so, to your point of coaching education, that there is no consistency, right? Um, mm-hmm. Especially here in the US, when it comes to mm-hmm. what one instructor is going to tell someone or tell a class or a group of players or uh, coaches, rather, is going to be different than maybe what I experienced here in Pennsylvania. And I find that. You know, I, I mean, that just says that that's where things are right now. That there is no consistency. And you know, some folks sort of said, "Well, what do you mean? Like, rondos aren't okay." And you know, there's sort of those back and forth of like explaining that depending on who you talk to, you know, some are going to say it's all right, some are going to say it's not all right. And um, you know, I, I know you went through the the C course not too long ago, and maybe if you want to riff on that a little bit of you know uh, to tie it to the the point of the the whole rondo thing and you know what i saw on social media
1: uh yeah i mean i i i think my 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 seahorse or yeah my my seahorse my is dead it's been it's been beaten um <laughs> <laughs> uh but but yeah it's just it, to to sum it up very very quickly i i attended the the u.s soccer c course there were there was discussion about the rondos um, it, it was recommended to us that they they were not game realistic, and that we should be we should be trying to get to an activity that is as game realistic as fast as possible in our sessions. That's them saying, you know, in code, don't do rondos, like do, do something else, and, and and you have no time to waste on rondos. That's how I interpreted it. They said it very you know politically correct though, um, which has that message has seemed to be very consistent from the people that I've talked to who've have, who have taken these US soccer courses. So you know that when we talk about consistency versus inconsistency, you know, that message has seemed very, very consistent up to the B license. So when people start taking their B license, it seems like something changes. And one thing that I noticed that, that I think changes and it, I could be wrong here. Jason, I could, I could be wrong, uh, but I believe that the C course is still subbed out to local state associations, so local state associations are, are able to fill those C course slots with their own instructors, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, I, I have to believe uh, is a lower caliber or low, lower standard for instructor, right, so it's just like, you know, somebody needs to teach the course, we have X amount of courses, we need all these people to fill the slots, it's not, it's not a dig on these people. Okay? And I don't want it to seem like that. But when you get to the B license, it seems like this is a national instructor. Um, and, and and these instructors are maybe more in tune or consistent with, with the message that they're teaching. And so it's that, that line between the C and the B that I've noticed a difference in all of my conversations, in, in all my dealings on social media, whatever, whatever. Um, that you know people in the B course are are, are not being discouraged or encouraged from using any imp- or any activity at all they're basically just they're given the opportunity to explain why it is in their session or why it is in their in their plan and how it relates to their game model and if they're able to prove it great the, the instructor yeah 100% pass, green lights all the way through. If not, they have some questions for you, and and they and they help you tweak things. But it, it seems to me different experience than than what I went through with the with the C course. Um, when it comes to to Rondo specifically, Jason, all I can say, all all I can speak on is is my personal experience with these exercises, um, and and how how much success I think my teams have had by using and utilizing these very, very, you know, I think powerful exercises on a, a incredibly regular basis, consistent basis over the course of, you know, three, four years in a row, you know, I've seen it translate and, and onto the field. Now, if you're talking about, you know, if, you, if you're evaluating, you know, after three months of of somebody using these things, you might not see a huge difference. But after two years or three years, you're going to see a huge difference. And and so that's the the vantage point that I'm looking at it um, from. You know, I have three, four, five years working with the same group of players, doing the same type of type of exercise, doing the same using the same methodology, and I saw what the result was. So that, that's the lens that I look at it through. Is it the, the, the absolute best way for everybody? Maybe not. I, I have no idea. I, I, have, I have no idea. But all I can speak on is that it's worked for me. I've seen it work for other people. I see it working at the very, very top, 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 top level of the game. And I see, that, you know, the way that Manchester City plays and the way that Barcelona plays and the way that Spain plays and the way that Brazil plays. And I want my teams to play like those teams. And so if I want my teams to play like those teams, they need to train like those teams. What do those teams do for training? Okay, dissect all that. Perfect. How can I replicate that in my, my environment? I take all that information. I create something for my own. And that's what I come up with. And a lot of, a lot of times that's included the use of rondos. So, uh, yeah. Again, tangents, man. I need to, I need to button this up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was gonna say it sounds like you're due for a uh, maybe a second cup of coffee, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, So maybe switch gears just a, a little bit. So for folks that don't know, uh, besides coaching and besides the you know three four three work that you do, uh, that you're a referee, mm-hmm. and I'm curious as to what your experience has been uh, being a referee—the good, the bad, and, and the ugly.
1: Uh, well. Unfortunately, we don't have enough time on, on any podcast to, to tell referee horror stories. Um, there's too many of them. But, but I mean, uh, short and simple, I started refereeing way before I started coaching. I started refereeing when I was 12 years old at the local AYSO, or sorry, CYSA. So it, it was just like a equivalent to AYSO. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I had a great experience. I, I loved refereeing. I've continued to do that my entire life. So now I'm 31, um, what's that, 19, almost, almost 20 years worth of refereeing experience. Uh, I've, I've gone back and forth between stints of taking it very, very serious and, uh, and then kind of taking my foot off the pedal and, and, and just doing it very, uh, you know, very inconsistently. But uh, yeah, just within the last year or so, I've in, in talks with the local referee, uh, association president board, and board and those people um, I'm, I'm back on the uh, take it very serious train and, and things are, are moving in the right direction we actually just we had a, a fitness evaluation the other day with a, with a pro referee when I say pro referee I mean um, the professional referee organization so the, the people that service Major League Soccer USL UPSL the, the, that, that crowd um, and PSL games um, so we had a workout with them uh, we, we all passed our, our fitness evaluation since now we're being considered for, you know, different and, and, and higher jobs. Uh, one of our, one of our local association guys is, um, actually upgrading and, and he'll be in the picture for, um, for professional games here pretty quickly. And I'm going to, I'm going to try to do my best to just kind of ride his wave that he's creating for, for guys in our area and, and just follow, follow behind him and, and see how far I can get and and refereeing. And it's funny because I'm, you know, you, you would assume that, you know, everything's nice and rosy and, and whatever, but I'm, I'm quickly realizing that refereeing is just as, as, as political as, as coaching and, and the rest of the soccer world is as well. So it's, it's kind of, kind of funny, but, uh, but yeah, refereeing, I, I, I absolutely love it. it. It's my way of, of staying connected to the game at a very high level um, and, and yeah, I just, I, 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 I just love being involved in the game in, in every, in every capacity as coach, player, referee, administrator, um, fan. And, and, and this is just, you know, one other angle that, that I've, uh, I've spent a lot of time, I've invested a lot of time in, so it's, it's been fun. It's been a wild ride.
0: Where do you see, uh, everything going? Um, whether it be coaching, whether it be the podcast, whether it be refereeing, um, I don't know, in a a year, two years, five years? Uh, Good good question. Um,
1: And and it's, it's, you know, it's something that I have to, I have to think about quite often. um, Or that I, that I do think about quite often. I want to work, I want to work in professional soccer and that's what I've always, I've always said. So when I was young, uh, you know, 21 or 22 years old, I had this pipe dream of becoming a professional coach. And, and I set a goal for myself. I, yeah. At 22 years old, I set a goal for myself that by 35, I wanted to be coaching professional soccer. And over the years I've realized, you know, all of the things that are, that are stacked against me and how very, very difficult it would be to get into that position. So I've continued to kind of like redefine, that goal, but still with the idea of working in professional soccer by the time I'm 35, um, I'm coming up on 32. So, uh, you know, time, time's ticking, but it, the, the pathway through refereeing might ultimately be my, my best chance of actually making it on the field of a professional game, which I think would be super realistic and exciting and something that I do want to achieve, I don't know if I'll be able to do that in three years though. Um, but, but hopefully at some point in my referring career, that's, that's the, the destination. Uh, as far as coaching. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that climbing the, the ladder to the professional level is, is as realistic anymore, unless some, some things change. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to rule it out. Uh, playing, obviously I'm not going to, you know, have a playing career at, at this point, <laughs> uh, as, as, as bad as that sucks to say out loud, but, um, but working in some capacity with, with either professional players, uh, an actual club, um, I have actually, you know, I have redefined what I do with the podcast is as being part of professional soccer. So being part of the professional soccer media, um, which, which is, you know, something I didn't, I never, I never anticipated, um, being part of my soccer journey, but, it is and, and it's an amazing it's an amazing thing and, and the more serious that I take it and, and, and the more I reach out to you know to higher and higher level guests, I realize that you know there's a there's a need for for this type of you know, podcasting, this type of, of conversation, this type of service, that people are interested in it. And also that people have really interesting stories to tell professional athletes have really really interesting stories to tell and if nobody gives them the platforms to tell them kind of openly and honestly uh, then I feel like they, they just keep a lot of things bottled up and so I've realized that I can kind of serve as that niche of the professional soccer world by just giving different people a chance to speak in the microphone so you know is that my working in professional soccer by 35 goal maybe you know I, I might have to tweak the the definition again but uh, but I'd be okay with that if, if that's ultimately where it goes. But, um, uh, but I think working with professional players or with a professional club in, in a, in an official capacity is, is ultimately where I want to be.
0: Hey guys, it's Jason. Don't run away. I got a quick word from our sponsor Flipboard. I, um, I told you this when, uh, I was on your show at the end of uh, 2018 and, John, I think you nailed it, knocked it out of the park there in terms of, um, you know, uh, everyone's soccer journey is theirs and that they should own it. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe the the dream that you started out with may not be necessarily the end result. Maybe it will. Who knows? Uh, but the fact that there are so many branches of this tree, the soccer tree that people can go down And so I just want to give you some credit um, because you and other podcasts are what inspired me to want to start this podcast. And the fact that, um, you know, and that started from talking to fellow coaches that was in talking to players and talking to parents and connecting with people on social media that have a real interest in this game that is much more than sort of a fluff piece or much more than just a, you know, what uh, mainstream media sort of wants to say or tell, Um, and the fact that, you know, what you're doing and what other podcasts are doing out there, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I think there, there is an audience for it and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited to see where that goes for you because, uh, I don't know, man, I, I keep coming back to, we just, we need more authenticity in this game and we need folks that are willing to rip the bandaid off and it, and tell people sort of like it is not how it might be. And, um, so uh, well,
1: on that note, Jason, can, can I maybe share one, one quick story? I don't know how much, how much time do we have?
0: Yeah. We, as much as you need. Go ahead.
1: So, you know, talking about like authenticity and, 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 you know, ripping the bandaid off of, of what it really takes and, and uh, yeah, just, just with, with, that idea in mind, you know, my coaching development journey, It sucked. Like, like, I don't, I don't know what else, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. Like, it, it, it sucked. And what I mean by that is that when I found the the people that I wanted to learn from, which was three, four, three, that where they were working at the time was three and a half or four hours, five hours if there was traffic. and 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 i would have to drive to them there was nothing they they, there was nothing online for me to 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 see or or learn from at the time and so i would drive down to watch training sessions and and the games and i would be there in person on the sideline it was funny i remember one time uh i even got invited to sit on the bench and here i am like you know this early 20 something whatever and and I'm I'm sitting on the bench watching these ten year olds play. I just drove five hours to watch these ten year olds play in some tournament, and and they kind of Brian kind of motions over to me like, hey, come come sit on the bench. And I'm like, it was like getting invited to sit on the on the sideline of the World Cup to me. Like like my face just lit up. I felt so happy. whatever how you know how nerdy is that, right? Um, but you know, the journey of you know, having to constantly go down there and learn something and come back and, and, and implement it in your own environment and tweak and, and, you know, Oh, like it didn't work out right. Okay. I still need to learn. So, you know, spend more time learning, come back, tweak, you know, eh, it's still not perfect. I still need to learn. Okay. You know, continue learning, come back, tweak and just over and over and over again. That process sucks. Jason, It, 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 sucks. And a lot of people think that there's this quick fix um, that you're going to sign up for, you know, this 10-day program and that it's going to, you know, change your, your team overnight. It's like, no, like that, that's, that's, that's not how it's going to be. And the other day I, uh, I wrote down something in regards to individual player development. I wrote it down in regards to individual player development, but it applies to coaching as well. You need to be willing to play the long game. And the long game sucks. Like it really sucks. And and that's what people will not come out and tell you openly and honestly about uh, coaching education, about team development, about individual development, is that you need to have this thick skin, this long-term mindset. And if you have those things, you're on the right track. But if you're looking for something that's like a quick quick fix – or uh overnight success or something flashy to put on instagram or whatever yeah you're you're maybe going down the wrong path so um that that's something that that, that came to mind um, as you said you know rip, ripping off the band-aid and being a little bit more open and honest and and you know i can i can just speak for i i think i, I have to be careful here i'm not going to speak for my mentor but Um, speaking about my mentor, you know, I've watched, I've watched Brian, um, you know, grind and grind and grind and grind for years and years and years and years. And I think personally that he's one of the best in the business and, you know, year after year after year, win after win, after win, after win, trophy after trophy, after trophy, um, you know, and and he's still on the grind. And when I look at it through that lens, you know, and, and I, I relate that back to my own uh, development and, and understanding the game. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm still very much in the, in the learning phase and, in, in the, I guess like you can call it like an apprenticeship phase. And, uh, that, that kind of helps ground me. There's times where I felt like I should have been, you know, further along than, than, than I was. And I realized like, no, like you, you shouldn't have been like, you should, you should be exactly where you are because you're, you're still learning. So, yeah, that's 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 kind of what came to mind.
0: Well, I I think I'm safe in saying this that um I you know uh, Gary V Gary Vaynerchuk
1: uh-huh.
0: so um he t- he talks about what you just said all the time, John. That uh you know he he calls it eating dirt. Where um I mean you you, you got to eat dirt, you got to eat shit, right? Yeah. I mean for for a long time, and I you know I I mean it sounds kind of strange saying this, but I mean that's truly what separates the ones that are willing to want to continue down that path versus those that, like you said, are looking for the, the quick fix or the, you know, the, the 10 day cleanse and you know, your mm-hmm. body's just going to magically be better now or whatever. And it's like, you know, it is a process. It's a grind. And, uh, man, if you're ever on the East coast, I'm going to have you come talk to my parents because uh, <laughs> no, Hey, don't don't worry about that. We have, we have a parent course coming out. We'll, we'll, we'll do it digitally. Okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> Good deal, man. Good deal. Well, uh, uh,
0: I, I, I know I told you uh, between a half hour and, and 45 minutes, and I, I want to be respectful of your time. So if, if you have to, to jump off, let me know. But if you can keep going, uh, we can – I just have a, another question or two. What, um, let, let's say you want to go for like 20 more minutes? Yeah, that's fine. That's okay, fine. I'm, I'm done with that. Yeah, so um, tell me what we're doing right in this country and, <sighs> uh, and tell me what we're doing wrong and um and i i will preface that question by saying um if anyone hasn't listened to the latest conversation that you and, and Gary Kleiben had don't interpret that as negativity folks because um i i you'll be hard pressed to find more passionate people about us soccer than you and Gary we want to get it right so i i preface that question by that little you know uh piece there because i think I think it can, it can, people can misinterpret your passion sometimes in how you go about things is like, Oh, John's, you know, overly negative or he's this, or he's that. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so at all. And I think that's what drew me to you into three, four three was the fact that I'm like, Holy shit, this is like authentic. This is people telling me the way it, sh- you know, it is not like some made up cockamamie story that, you know, it's like fairy tales and rainbows. Um, no res- in disrespect to fairy tales and rainbows, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Uh, I, I mean, it's a very
1: broad question, right? But um, what, what are we doing right? I think that some things are changing and, and some things are moving in a, in a better direction. Um, you know, if we want to talk about, um, you know, a, a more recent story I think we've we've all kind of highlighted at, at different points, like Frankie and Maya's story, which is which is really cool. The um, the signal that MLS is sending out by you know Frankie going first in the draft, I think, is very positive, and it's a very positive message to uh, the next generation of players. You know, to kind of like, hey, like you know, if this is the style of player that you are, th- there's going to be a place for you in the future. Where before you know, players like Frankie, you know, with his skill set um, just just weren't valued. And, and now that times are changing and, and the style of play is changing and, and MLS teams, you know, their, their style is changing, um, you know, play, players, more technical players, uh, you know, players with different skill sets outside of just their physical attributes um, are, are going to become more and more valuable. And, you know, even yesterday, I, I saw, you know, some some articles from Tab Ramos that Tab, Tab is 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 really um, highlighting something I think very, very special. And, and and he's saying that, you know, if some of these guys that are part of the U-20 national team at this moment, if these guys weren't Americans, if these guys were 18, 19, 20 year olds coming from Argentina or coming from Brazil or or coming from Spain or, or wherever to, to to MLS, like if Atlanta was was signing these 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 guys from Argentina, the same exact uh, style of players, Atlanta would be paying 10 million, 15 million, 20 million for these these players at 18, 19, 20 years old, and and Tab, I think rightfully highlighted that that's also the value that these American players should should have, and 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 they probably should have had these. These valuations for for many many years um but it's uh you know it's the stigma of being american um and having to you know overcome all of the obstacles in the american environment number one like that's that's a massive hurdle um and then uh yeah and then when you are 18 19 20 you know in a, a club over in Germany or in England or in Mexico, ever like wants to pick you up? Uh, you know, are they are they willing to pay? You know, the the 10, 15, 20 million, uh that you might be worth, but you're coming straight out of college or coming out of high school or, or or things like that. Like no, so you know, other things need to change as well in order to to get like these you know full market value out of out of or, or full market potential out of these American players. So that's, you know, I, I think I kind of touched on, it's good that we're moving in this direction, but things still kind of need to change. Uh, and, and, and that's kind of where we're at. I think we're in a much better place than we were five, six, seven years ago, but maybe still a long, long, long way to go.
0: So uh, what, what are we doing wrong? <laughs> <Now> <laughs> I have a feeling this is going to be a longer answer
1: i <laughs> uh, I mean no i i can I can keep it short and, and if people want more you know if if people want more to chew on they could you know go find some other stuff that we've either podcasted or, or written about i I don't think it's hard to find our opinions on anything um but yeah i i I always come back to the, we we need more more opportunities uh more incentive to include everybody in the country and, and what i mean is is you know if i had a, if i had a club i need to be able to play my way merit my way to the top and not know uh sorry yeah and, and not know that you know at the end of the season i'm going to be in the same place no matter how good or bad i do like that that is terrible for development from a development standpoint that you know hey john you and your club uh you know try your hardest and if you guys do really, really, really good, you guys are gonna be right there next year. It's like what? Like no? Like that, that's that's insane. Uh, it's like telling it's like telling Google like, hey Google. Um, hopefully my phone doesn't turn on or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, hey Google, like invest a ton of money and buy like all these other companies and and hire the best engineers and uh, you know. Build your staff, build a, a badass, cool building for everybody to work in. But you know, you guys can't exceed, uh, uh, you know, this level of success. And Google would be like, "No, fuck you! Like, we're gonna do whatever we want." And, and so that's like the, the mentality that I wish that more people in the American soccer uh, ecosystem would adopt. Like, hey, quit telling us where where we have to be. Like, let us earn our spot wherever that is. Like uh, sometimes people might be okay with just being a youth club. Perfect. No problem. Uh, but other people have bigger aspirations. But why would they why would they even decide to to try to do that if they know that they can never get past being a division 3 club? Like it, it, to me, you know, it, it, the market needs to the market needs to make sense for people to really want to get involved. And it doesn't make sense at this moment, so I don't think we even have a true idea of the potential of uh, of how much money is actually sitting on the sidelines in American soccer. Like, I I, I, I just I, I have to imagine that if it was an open open system, clubs if it, if this is the open tomorrow, sorry, if the system open tomorrow that clubs would just pop up all over the damn place. People from other countries would be flocking to the United States to invest their money here in in clubs. You see it already with people putting offices just, you know, in New York city and and LA and and whatever, just, you know, when it comes to building their own brand, but imagine if they could build their own club and, 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 you know, have a club competing in the first division in, in the United States, how much more money these, these foreign entities would be putting here. And you think Americans are just going to sit on the sideline and say, "Hey, cool, Bayern Munich." Like, you know, I hope that you do really good in our in our American First Division. No, Americans would be like, "No, this is America. Like, we're going to put our own team in." And and, and just that competition, I think, would just oh my god, Jason, I think it would just explode everything, everything. So, what can we do, or or, or what do we need to change, or what's bad? The system is bad, and it needs to change, and we need to make and we can make everything absolutely better by introducing you know just real competition a real open market and and letting letting the individual clubs sort everything out themselves we don't need we don't need the 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 middleman to to tell us like uh ah, hey you over there in in Pittsburgh like yeah you're you're good at you uh, or sorry you're good at at uh the second division and you John over there in San Luis Obispo in California eh, like you look like you're Division Three. Like you can stay in Division Three. Oh, uh, LAFC from from you know Los Angeles. Yeah, you're Division One. You're gonna stay in Division One. Like, why does anybody have to tell us that? Let us let us sort it out ourselves. Let us go on the field and sort it out. That's how I feel. I don't know
0: if that made any sense. <laughs> uh, it, it made a whole lot of sense, and I think I mean I, I knew this before I watched uh, this uh, you know docu series on Netflix, but uh, Sunderland till I die. Mm -hmm. of how much that means to the people of that community right that was a
1: beautiful beautiful documentary
0: yes i agree and you know it i mean so when you have the the parish priest of uh you know the local sunderland community you know praying for the team that they don't get relegated right and to see i mean not only how it impacted the players but the community (laughs) The, you know, uh, I mean, just the the culture, how the team had to adapt, how to, the team had to change or whatever it was. I, I, I mean, it might be overstating to say it was life or death, but I mean, it was damn near close to it in uh, just how much it meant to the people. And I think that, you know, there's such these soccer gaps in our country. Right. So for me in the Pittsburgh area. I don't have an MLS team. I don't have someone that I can latch on to and say, that's mine. You know, that's my club. And sure, yeah, we have, a, you know, the, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds or whatever. That's fine. For whatever reason, I just haven't found that attachment, you know, to that club. But, I mean, to your point that if, you know, clubs identified and sort of, you know, dictated whether, uh, you know, what their success or, or failure is going to be by their play on the field or on the pitch, I think that would change the whole perception of soccer because the rest of the world seems to think that way, <laughs> but why in the hell don't we think that way? Right. And uh, I don't know. Um, I no, mean, J-
1: Jason. I... And, and, and it goes deeper than that too, that your team doesn't necessarily need to be the best, right? Like yeah. a, a no. lot of people, a lot of people flock to to Barcelona or Manchester United or Manchester city because you know, those teams are are the best, but all over the world, there's there's met like very 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 um, high numbers of, of small clubs that represent something, whether it's their local town or a political belief or a cultural belief or a religious belief or whatever, right? And, and and that's what attracts a fan base too. So it's not necessarily only the winning, which I think you know people always want their team to win, of course. But there's much more to it, and and, and you know the The belief of the club or what the club stands for, I think is very important too. And And that's something like that, that real identity is something that we are robbed of in American soccer as well, because you can't, Jason, you can try your absolute hardest to explain to me the difference between Philadelphia unions belief and the Colorado Rapids belief. And, and what they stand for, like what those represent, and, and and you could try your hardest to convince me, but you're not going to convince me because th- those teams represent Major League Soccer. They they don't represent their cities. They don't they don't stand for any. They don't believe in anything differently uh, than than what is just Major League Soccer. Like I don't think Colorado Rapids represents. Colorado. I just don't. Like like what is it specific about that organization that screams Colorado? What what is it about Philadelphia that screams Philadelphia? Yeah. I, I just don't get it, man. I don't see it. Like what what about New York City FC screams New Yorker? Like I, I don't I don't see anything about New York City FC that, you know, reminds me of of uh Billy Joel or, uh, you know, like downtown Manhattan or or what, like, I don't, I don't get that feeling. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think big Apple when I think of, of New York city FC. So it, that, that to me is like that, that identity or what these, what, what teams stand for is one thing that we get completely robbed of. And the only, the only facet of American soccer that I believe we get that in is the facet that is, uh, ridiculed the most probably. And and what I mean by that is, is like your school pride. And so NCAA soccer, Mm. uh, high school soccer, like the sense of community behind those programs, um, whether it's in a college town or, or like your neighborhood high school, like there's, there's like this different feeling of community when you're talking about school sports And, and, and that doesn't exist anywhere else in the american soccer ecosystem like i i i find this very hard to believe that you know somebody has the same passion of of wearing their club badge you know if they play u15 girls soccer as they would of putting on their high school jersey now that's not to say that the soccer is any better or worse i'm not i'm not arguing like that but there's this weird sense of of community that comes with putting on your high school jersey or your college jersey and that that pride of representation, I've never noticed that with any of my players that I've coached from, you know, U eight to, to U nineteen uh, in the club setting. Like I've never had a player that's like, fuck yeah, like I'm gonna bleed for this jersey today. Like, no, like that that doesn't exist. But at the high school level, I saw that pretty often. So um, yeah, that, that that identity and that, that connection to community is, is something that we are completely robbed of. And like you said, you know, you don't have a, a team, an MLS team in your market. Well, neither do I. I. I live about three and a half hours away from San Jose, and I live about three and a half hours away from LA. I'm I'm right in between. And you know what? Both of those teams are, or both of those markets are blacked out in my area on television. So I can't watch any of those games on on Fubo, on uh, MLS Live, on any of these things unless I use an illegal like VPN. Uh, protector or decoder or whatever those things are and i'm not i'm not technologically advanced enough to figure those things out so you know i just want to turn on my tv and watch those games and it, I, I can't do it so i can't even watch my local i'm using air quotes with my fingers i can't even watch my local teams and that sucks man mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know Tangents, well. man i need to, i need to reign this thing
0: in <laughs> Makes you a damn good it po- makes you a damn good <laughs> podcast host, <laughs> um, John. If uh, if folks want to connect with you uh, in the world of social media, how can they do it?
1: Yeah, um, it's funny because like like people think that I, I heard Brian say this the other day too. Um, you know, people think that I'm 343. threes. I'm I'm not three four three, and and I don't. Again, I, I, I don't want anybody to, to find me on social media and think that I represent anybody besides myself because i don't um but uh at that croatian guy you know I, I have a croatian background so i celebrate that with my with all of my social media handles so you, instagram and, and twitter is where i'm most active um and and i would love to engage with with anybody in, in conversation there um yeah just 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 going to that knowing that it's uh, <laughs> it's no holds barred um and yeah, uh, 343coaching.com is where people can find out more about the things that we offer and Jason i, re- I really want to um, make sure that i that i mention this cuz this is something we've talked about um, yeah. recently um, is that you know we aren't a podcast like that that is that is not what 343 is it is not a podcast and and the podcast is you know it's it's a project that i i i'm very privileged to be a part of but it's it's so much more 343 is so much more than than a podcast. And we have so much more to offer. And we really think that if if people connect with us and, and they like the podcast or they like what we say on Twitter, we we would love to have people join our actual community via our uh, our free course, our free online course, which is a seven week course uh, that kind of gives you an introduction, a brief overview. It's not even a brief overview. It's It's like it's it's pretty freaking in depth for, for free for, you know, for $0. Um, but it, it's, it's a overview of the methodology and the curriculum that Brian has used with his teams that have, you know, earned him a lot of success on the field. And, and, and again, I, I speak about these methods and this curriculum because I myself have seen Brian use these on the field uh, I've done these exercises myself. I've seen how they translate to success on the field with my teams. And, and that's why I encourage people to go in and find us and, 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 go and check that out because to me, that is way more beneficial than listening to me rant on a podcast. Um, you know, if, if people want to actually learn, um, about soccer that's where you learn if you talk, listen to me talk you, you i mean you're not going to learn anything you might even get dumber listen to me talk but um but yeah so the free course is is uh available and a good starting point for anybody that is unfamiliar with with the you know that methodology or curriculum that i'm referring to and if you like it and you trust us and you go through that process and and you're like man like you know this is also how i want my teams to play like i want my teams to build on the back like that too or I want my teams to score those kind of goals. Uh, I want my teams to, to press like this. And, and so if you if you kind of like get down with all the stuff that are, is in the free course or in the little videos that we have on YouTube or wherever, then you know the, the premium course is, is really the the bread and butter. Like that's that's where that's where you know full training sessions, um, the really kind of narrowed down curriculum uh, of the exercises that we think are super powerful and super meaningful, um, in, in complete detail. And, and, and the most beneficial part of all that is, is getting to see the actual exercises in real training sessions, leading up to the real games by the real coach, by the real players. Like, it's not like this thing that we hired a bunch of players to come in on a Saturday and, Hey guys, we're going to film. And, you know, here's your coach, uh, for the day. And, and he's going to tell you to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, like these guys are preparing for real games that they actually went and won or real tournaments that they actually brought the trophy home from. And, and so you gotta get to see what went into the making of that. And then you get to see, you get to hear the, the flow of the coach and, and the reactions of the players and, and things like, I, God, I could talk about it for, for days and days and days, but you know, I, I told a story at the beginning of one of my podcasts the other day that I'm actually kind of jealous. Um, that coaches have access to that now because like i said earlier i had to drive you know five hours one way to go watch a training session sometimes and that's you know 200 and something miles i think uh and then that was yeah just one way so round trip i'm driving 500 miles uh 10 hours to go watch you know 10 and 11 year olds play but it was so beneficial for my development as a coach um, but now anybody can do that. They don't, they don't need to, to, to make the drive Any like Jason from Pittsburgh can, can sign up for the program online and, and get access to the same stuff that I was watching, uh, when I was there, when I was sitting right next to the camera, which I think is super cool. And, and I'm as, as jealous as I am, which it, it's, it's very, uh, bad of me to say that out loud, but it's honest. Um, you know, I'm also super happy that more people can experience it because I think, I, I think it's valuable and, and, and it's great that, more people can, can see exactly what lit a fire in me as well and, and what worked for me. And I, I just, I have this weird inclination that it's going to work for a lot of other people too, or that it would work for a lot of other people too. So, um, yeah, so 343coaching.com. Um, if you want to follow Gary, he's at 343. Uh, that's obviously the, the main account on there. I'm, I'm, uh, at
0: that Croatian guy. And yeah, that's, that's where you can kind of find our, our work and what we're about. Having done the, uh, the free course, I, I can't recommend it enough to, uh, to all the listeners and, uh, John, I need to graduate to the, uh, the premium course because, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're speaking the same language for sure. And, uh, I would love to have you back on a, uh, I don't want to say semi-regular basis, but you know, as time allows, uh, to have you back on from time to time and, um, you know, just continue to give a, a very authentic look into the, uh, the soccer landscape in this country, man. And I can't thank you enough for coming on. It, it really means the world to me to, to have you on as a guest. Yeah, absolutely, Jason, whenever. And, and hopefully,
1: you know, after two or three times, we can, uh, you know, get rid of the pleasantries and, and, and forget about like the background stories and we just zero in on one topic and just go to town for an hour.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, I think that would be awesome. <laughs> All right, episode 16, almost in the books. My sincerest thanks to John Pronich of 343 for coming on the latest episode of On the Touchline. John, um, you have my sincerest admiration, and I hope we have the opportunity to stay connected, my friend, uh, because that episode was absolutely fantastic. Before we go, a few friendly reminders You can find this podcast on 11 different podcasting platforms, including places like Apple, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify. So whatever your preferred platform, please be sure to follow the show or subscribe to the show, and you will get new episodes every Wednesday and every Saturday morning. As I mentioned before, if you listen on Apple Podcast, please go to the show and leave a five-star rating and a review that helps push us up the podcast rankings when it comes to soccer podcast, so more and more folks can find this show. Also, if there's an episode of this show that you enjoy, we have 16 of them now, uh, please be sure to share it out on social media. When you do that, use the hashtag on the touchline, all one word, And feel free to tag me at any time on Twitter or Instagram. And my handle is at SoccerCoachJB. I have another flame-throwing guest on Saturday. And I think you enjoy the conversation I have with uh, Drew Campbell. So more on that to drop later this week. This has been the On the Touchline podcast, and until next time, I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.